The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Life in Exile, a study of the book of 1 Peter. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. How are we doing today? We good? Awesome. Can I just say that this is my fourth time being up here, and it seems like each and every time I get up here, I get more and more nervous. And I was standing down there, and I think my knees were literally shaking. Um, But what's interesting is as I was singing, as we were worshiping God together as a family, I just kind of felt those nerves be taken away because I realized that you guys aren't here to hear me speak, right? You're here to worship the Lord, which we've already been doing and we're going to continue to do through this sermon. So I'm still nervous, but I know God's not, right? So we're going to jump in. You know, a lot of you guys don't know me. I'm Alex Arguello, still not yet one of the pastors here. I am still in the elder development, and I've come to the place where I am supposed to finish this written examination to become an elder, which is the last step before I were to go in front of the elders to be assessed. Um, This examination is taking me just a little bit longer than I would have liked to have taken me, but it's taken me a lot longer than Pastor Justin would have liked to have taken me. So if you guys could just please be praying for me that I would have the time and energy required to be able to, to finish that. My hope is that I would have that done by the end of this month so that Dr. Jesse Walden, who already has his examination finished and is waiting for me, we can then go in front of the elders to be assessed and again hopefully join the three elders that we currently have um, in serving the church through leading the church. And then I can start making the millions of dollars that all those guys make every single year, right? (laughs) Well, I'm up here today preaching because of two reasons. Um, Probably multiple reasons, but two that I can think of. The first one is Pastor Justin, our primary preaching pastor, needs a break every so once in a while, right? Preaching week in and week out can be exhausting. I don't know because I haven't done that before, but that's what I hear. And I do know, this being the fourth time, how much it wears on me actually preparing for this. So doing it every week definitely would seem exhausting. So I'm thankful that God has brought other men into our church to be able to take some of the weight off of him there. Um, so that he can rest and recharge, which he's been doing this week, and he'll be back with us next week to, to, to preach the word of God to us. But the second reason why I'm preaching up here is because all of us need a break from being yelled at every week. <laughs> right? I think this microphone needs a break from being yelled at every week. I mean, our brother, brother is passionate up here when he preaches, isn't he? And I love it. You know, a couple weeks ago, I'm pretty sure that he was just setting up an analogy. It wasn't even the analogy, and he was screaming at us just during the setup, right? In his body language, all this type of stuff, right? He wonders why he sweats up here the whole time. So we need a break from that, right? We need a break, and we need to listen to somebody who is just a little bit more chill, or a lot more chill, like I am up here, right? But either way, who's ever preaching? Right, whether it's myself or Rob Spikstra, Eric Olson, Pastor Sam from Moline, we always hope and pray that the word of God is still preached, and that the spirit of God is still active and piercing the hearts and allowing us to hear what we need to hear this morning. So let me pray for that, and then we'll jump right into the text. Father, we thank you for grace. 
Jesus, we thank you for the work that you've done that even allows us to come in here and worship God this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your heart-changing power and giving us the desire to even want to be here this morning. And we just ask that you would help us this morning, that you would do whatever you have to do with my words, you would do whatever I have to do with their ears, so that we can really hear, we can really feel, we can really experience what you want to do in us and through us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text today, there's these black things on the chairs that actually have Bibles in them instead of being on the floor now. So if you don't have a Bible, you can pick one of those up. But we're in verses 11 and 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. So go ahead and grab your Bible and we'll jump right into it. If you have been with us for the past couple months, you know that we've been working through this letter, 1 Peter, Peter's first letter. Right? We've been working through it and what we've been learning is that Jesus, or Jesus, Peter has just been blowing them away with gospel truth. He has been reminding them of this great fortune of being chosen by God to be his people. And as his people, he's sanctifying them, which means that he's taking them from where they were before becoming Christians and then making them more and more like Jesus Christ. He wants to take broken, sinful people who look nothing like Jesus and make them look completely new and eventually perfect like his son. And we will see more of that today. But before this sanctification could happen, Peter reminds us that these people had to be born again, which is extremely important in understanding salvation and, and even our text today. Them needing to be born again means that God couldn't just draft these people onto his team and then put them through some sort of boot camp experience, get them working really hard so that they could become better versions of who they already were. He actually had to start over with them spiritually so that they could then go live the life, this new life that he's called them to live. Then what we see God do is very interesting to me. He takes these newborn Christians and start this process of growing them up into holiness. That part is awesome, but it's not what I mean by interesting. What I mean is interesting is how and I guess where he chooses to do his work. He places them in this foreign land. And the foreign land where they are amongst people who are and a culture that is totally antithetical to the culture that these people should now desire as God's image bearers. That's a tough spot to be in. But I think we will continue to see why he is doing this. Today, more, maybe more specifically. My hope for today, though, is that through seeing what God is doing with these people, we will be brought some comfort and joy as we think about how a Christian should be living now in our day and age. What I believe we can see in our text today is Peter calling these people to live a different kind of life than the people that they are living amongst. And through this calling of a different kind of life, God is doing two things. So we kind of see God accomplishing two things with one tool. I was going to say killing two birds with one stone, but Scripture talks a lot about how much God cares for birds, so I figured I would avoid that. But we see him doing two things. He's sanctifying his people, bringing their salvation to completion, and number two, he's attracting people into his family. So again, calling them to a different life and sanctifying these people and growing his family at the same time. That's where we're going today. Pray that I can communicate it and we can receive it as a church for God's glory. Let's read verse 11. He says, Beloved, 
Now that's not a word that we use anymore, but this, with this one word, Peter is setting a tone for what he's about to say. Remember last week, we heard him just go off on making sure they understood who they actually were in Christ. They were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. As we go into verses 11 and 12, we have to keep that in our minds. That's part of the tone. But most of the commentators that I read said that this verse 11 here is a transition from the first part of the letter, which again was filled with gospel and identity and hope, with a few just kind of general commands scattered throughout. But verse 11 starts the section of this letter that gets more specific to what a Christian's life in exile should actually look like. He's going to say some things to them that are going to be very, that's going to be very challenging to his readers. So the other part of his tone here is awesome. Peter is an apostle. He's kind of a big deal. He walked with Jesus. Jesus himself said that he was going to build the church on Peter's shoulders. So he has this authority to where he could have understandably written to them from a tone that says he's way up here and he's speaking to people that are way down here, right? I'm an apostle. You guys are just regular old Christians. So listen to what I have to say to you if you know what's good for you but that's not his tone here. The word here, beloved, is more saying, yes, I am Peter, an apostle. I have special knowledge from God that I am giving you, but I'm also one of you. I am one of your brothers who knows what it's like to be living in this world as one who has been persecuted and tempted, and I understand what you are going through. So what I'm about to say to you, I'm saying because I deeply love you, I deeply care about your souls, and I deeply care about God's mission. It sounds like someone else I know. Not the apostle part, the big A apostle part, but I know we just joked about Pastor Justin, how passionate he gets up here. But I think sometimes his passion can get him in trouble with us occasionally, right? Especially if we don't like what he's saying or how he's saying it. What's interesting about that, though, is if we do are agreeing with what he's saying, when he's passionate about it, we're cheering him on, right? We might get some amens with that. But if he's saying something passionately and we don't agree with what he's saying, then we can get offended by it, right? And we can start to wish that he just wouldn't talk about these things. Maybe start thinking about the email that we're going to write him. Well, I know one thing. He loves those emails, so please continue to send those emails. (laughs) But secondly, and more seriously, what I do know, and this is just because I've been walking with him, I've been living life with him for the past five years, and this is solely by the grace of God, as I'm sure he would tell you. Our pastor deeply loves all of us. He deeply cares about our souls, and he deeply cares about God's mission. So I pray that we can, that, that would continue to be true, but I also pray that we can remember that as a church. And that's what we see Peter doing here, kind of this pastoral figure this pastoral figure who really loves his people. He's transitioning into speaking to how these people that he loves are supposed to be living. So he's wanting to kind of prepare their ears and prepare their hearts to receive what God, excuse me, what God has called them to do. Let's look back at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh I like this. 
Peter, in the midst of a command, brings back an identity. He just spent the first section of this letter making sure that they remembered their identity as God's children and all the amazing things that come with that. But even in the same sentence that he's giving them this command, he can't get away from reminding them who they are. He calls them sojourners and exiles. Other translations use strangers or aliens. All of these meaning that they are a people who are not native to this land. This isn't their home. Their home is with God in another land, in his kingdom. So Peter is getting across two things here by saying sojourners and exiles. Number one is he's reminding them that they are citizens of heaven, which is great news. But this fact that they are citizens of heaven also means that they have a new cultural lens that they see the world through now, which means that how they live should look different from the current culture that they are living in. Now, that might sound simple, just be different from the culture, but I guess I should emphasize that he wants them to look different, knowing that much of what they are going to be doing on a daily basis, much of that's in their lives is going to look quite similar to the people that they are living around. They're going to be walking the same streets. They're going to be shopping at the same places. They're going to be working at the same, for the same employers. They're going to be eating the same types of foods. They're going to be doing most of the same things of these Gentiles are going to be doing on a daily basis. Yet Peter says, God expects you to look different. So how does a Christian go about life doing the same things as non-Christians, but also look different? Let's look at verse 11 again. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. He tells them how he wants them to look different by this command. For this first part, abstain from the passions of the flesh. We can compare it to places like Galatians 5, where Paul teaches on the works of the flesh. He lists these works of the flesh out, right? Sexual immorality and strife and jealousy, drunkenness, sensuality. And at the end of that entire list that he lists things out, he says, and anything like these, These are the things that their flesh is going to desire potentially. So yes, Peter is saying, avoid these works, avoid these things. But what is interesting is this word that he uses for passion here means over-desire. So what he's really talking about here is taking good things and making them God things. He's saying that the things that are part of your life that God, by his common grace, has given you to enjoy, stay away from over-desiring them. It's almost like he's saying, don't let yourself be addicted to these things. Not money, not comfort, not pleasure, not security. None of these things should be over-desired. That's the first way that we see these people are supposed to look different having rightly ordered desires of everyday things. This is where I believe we can see the first thing that God's trying to do with them. God is wanting to take them through this process of sanctification. He's wanting to make them look more like Christ. Where do we see that? Well, if we continue on in that verse, it says, abstain from these over-desires because they are damaging to your souls. He's speaking right to their spiritual state and knows that these over-desires are working against their sanctification. 
God wants them to move closer to holiness. Their flesh wants them to move further away. Peter's readers are being pulled on a daily basis in two different directions. The spirit of God that is living in them and has made them new is pulling them in the direction of beholding the glory of the Lord, as Paul tells us in Galatians. And that direction will result in their holy living. But the flesh, the world that they're in, and even the enemy, are pulling them in the direction of beholding the glory of self, or the glory of the world, which will result in their sinful living, stealing joy from them and glory from God. This is the same for Christians today. So I ask, which direction are we pulled in more often? And if we're not sure, and maybe we don't do this type of evaluation of our life, I would urge you to start. If we are not evaluating our life through the word of God, as well as living in community with other believers so that they can also be evaluating our life, then how is sanctification going to happen? You know how sanctification happens? We are somehow through God's means of grace, made aware of an area of our life where we don't look like Jesus, then we confess that that is true, repent of it, and then worship Jesus because he lived every area of life perfectly. And then he died for us and then gave us his perfect record. That process makes us more like Jesus because we turn from worshiping something other than Jesus and turn back to worshiping him. And how God has set up this world as we as people become like whatever it is that we worship. The more we worship Jesus, the more we will become like him. The more we become like him, the more we will have the right degree of desires for the things of this earth. The more rightly we desire the things of this earth, the more we will look different from the people of this earth. Even as we are doing the same exact things that they are doing every day which is evidence that God is working through us, in us, in the sanctification process. But what my hope is, is that we can see this, that this is a choice that we have. As Christians, we don't just wait around and do nothing and hope that God is going to change us. We can imply from Peter's urging here that we as a people who have been made new creations have the ability to choose to control or even restrain these desires, these over-desires. We can fight them. And God has given us his spirit, his word, his son's example, and a family of brothers and sisters to be able to win this fight. Win the fight against, yes, any sinful desires. But again, Peter's calling these Christians to fight these specific passions, these over-desires. So we should ask ourselves, are we working too much because of an over-desire of money? Are we not giving money to the church or others in need because of this over-desire? Are we avoiding missional opportunities because we over-desire comfort? We think that they are uncomfortable in and of themselves, or maybe taking the time to actually go and do it would steal away us away from something else that's bringing us comfort. Are we avoiding being vulnerable in missional community because we over-desire comfort? This could be any of these things, family, control, security, over-desiring any of these things. These are the things that Peter is urging them to stay away from. 
These are the things that will wage war against their souls and our souls, which keeps us from looking more like Christ. Peter continues in verse 12 to let them know that when, what else they can do to look different. These two words in the rest of this verse are important to understand. The word conduct. This word conduct refers to a day-by-day pattern of life. So he's saying, keep your rhythms of life honorable. What that means, he's, he's not telling them to just put on a good face when they happen to be around Gentiles. But rather, since you are going to be around Gentiles in your everyday life, conduct yourself in a way that is honorable. Honorable is the other word that we have to understand. This word means honest, respectable, ethical, but it also means commendable or worthy of praise. Excellent. So if we put this phrase together, he's asking them to be a family member, be an employee, be a neighbor, be a student, whatever it is that you are doing every day, but do it in a way that is honest, ethical, and worthy of praise. Do it with excellence. So for us, this means love your family passionately. Give them the quality and quantity of time necessary to do that. Work your butt off. Be the best employee your employer has. Be the best coworker your coworkers have. Be an awesome neighbor. Get to know the people in your neighborhoods. Get to know their stories. Invite them over for dinner. Help them, even when they're not asking you for help. Keep your yard from looking terrible. I'm terrible at that one. And I was made aware this past week of how I'm failing in multiple ways with my neighbors. Not only does my yard need a lot of work, but I just found out just this past week that my next door neighbor, the people that live right next door to us, had a baby a couple weeks ago. I didn't even know that they were pregnant. Not only am I a couple weeks late, I'm actually a a lot of weeks late. A couple days after that, I found out that a guy that lives two houses next to us passed away last week, and I had no idea just found out last week. So Emily and I just felt terrible when we realized this. We felt terrible, but studying this text was very good for us as we worked through it. Why did we feel terrible? Because we know that the reason we didn't know these things, when we should have known them, is because we haven't been in these people's lives the way God wants us to be. But once we realized that, what happened was God led us to confession, led us to repentance. And then we started worshiping Jesus for not giving up on us, for being our perfect substitute. God only not only used this situation with our neighbors for my wife and I's sanctification, but I trust that he will also push us now towards more honorable conduct in this area. Because if we read the rest of verse 12, This way of living, this honorable conduct, this avoiding the passions of the flesh has another purpose and I think is even more clear. Let's read verse 12 again. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Gentiles here just means anybody outside of the family of God, non-believers. Among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
as we get into this second point, which is about mission, we are reminded of the difficulty in living where they're actually living. It says, when they speak against you as evildoers. Now, we've already been told in previous weeks that these believers were going through persecution. Not necessarily persecution, physical persecution, or being thrown in jail, or physically harmed. But the people of this nation didn't accept the type of people that these Christians were. They disagreed with many of their beliefs and their practices. According to some non-Christian historians, many of these people hated Christians to the point that they were okay with just them being wiped off the face of the planet, but they also regularly made it known how ridiculous they thought their beliefs were. As many of you know, this is not so different from what non-Christians believe about Christians now. Christians are being physically persecuted in some places still in the world, yes, but persecution doesn't have to be solely physical. Even here in the United States where we live, even though we have much religious freedom, we are moving further and further away from Christian values and actions taken from those values, being okay with other sects of society. Some Christians have been fired from their jobs, fined large portions of money, forced to close down their businesses, all because their actions were fueled by their Christian's beliefs. And how things seem, more than likely, that these forms of persecution are not going to go away. We will be persecuted and even hated for acting on what we believe. The same thing was happening to Christians when Peter wrote them this letter. This is why he says when and not if. He knew that in a culture that isn't of God, God's people are going to be attacked. He knows this because he heard Jesus say it. John 15, 20 says, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I think this is something that we as Christians need to hear loud and clear. Christians are going to be persecuted for their beliefs and how they act on those beliefs. Yes, this means that some things are determined, that are determined by our government may continue to change, which will make it maybe more difficult for us to live in this world. But remember, this word for conduct means a day-by-day pattern of life kind of conduct. This means that your very rhythms of life are going to be attacked. What do you do with your time? What you do with your money? What you do with your gifts? Let you let, what you let your kids watch and read. For us, what we let them eat. What you do or do you do not do with your body. All of these things will be attacked. Like I said, we need to hear this loud and clear, but not in a way like it's a warning, like look out for what is coming. We need to hear it loud and clear because if we are Christians, then this should already be happening which means if it's not, if you are not feeling at least somewhat persecuted by how you are living everyday life, then most likely that's because you're not living very Christian. Your life looks more like a life that is shaped by the world than it is shaped by God, what God is saying through Peter here. Saying that wasn't as bad as I thought. I thought that was going to feel way worse. reason I thought it was going to be worse is because I know that maybe some of you hearing me say that feel like I'm judging you and 
I don't want you to feel like that, right? Because I just want you to like me. But what I do feel is a conviction, right? You, I already let you in kind of with our neighbor situation. I'm not saying that to you and saying I'm perfect and you're not, so live the way that you're supposed to live. I'm saying that to you because my life doesn't look the way that it should either. And this process of changing, I pray, continues to happen. But it's still a warning that we need to hear. If we are not experiencing some persecution because of how we're living, then we aren't living like Jesus. And if we aren't living like Jesus, how do we ever expect to become like him? I'm not saying go and look for persecution, but what, I am, what I'm saying is Peter's calling Christians to live in a certain way, and if they are living that way, persecution will be happening. But we should take heart. Because not only is God using that type of life, a persecuted one, to sanctify us, but he's also using it to save others. These Gentiles, even the ones that will speak out against them as evildoers, they're God's mission field. Look at the way he, this verse ends here. It says, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is an interesting phrase, glorify God on the day of visitation. It may have multiple meetings, but one of the meetings for sure is about new converts being made. When these Christians abstain from the over-desires and keep their conduct honorable and do this in the context of everyday living in this foreign land, they're looking more like Christ. And as they're doing that, some of these Gentiles are going to observe the way that they're living, be compelled by it, be attracted to it, and when God the Holy Spirit visits them and converts them, God will be glorified on that day. These Gentiles will turn from a life that they are living and desire a life that is lived for Jesus. This is talking about relational evangelism. It's talking about discipleship. Pastor Timothy Keller in a sermon on these verses commented that most Christians are, excuse me, converted this way. Pastor Justin mentioned it last week as well. Very rarely is someone going to respond in faith to the gospel when we share it with them if we haven't been in their life at all. They're not even typically converted by some amazing sermon given by some amazing speaker that has an altar call at the end of it. Are some people? Yes, and praise God for that. But most people are going to see the beauty of Christ through seeing how he has changed the ordinary people in their life. God knows people's hearts. He knows that most likely children of wrath, which is what these Gentiles were, are not going to just show up at a church service one day to hear a message. They might frequently go to a temple, but it's not going to worship him. These Gentiles were people with hard hearts and wanted nothing to do with the Christian God. But they were also people whose daily lives were going to require many of the same rhythms as people whose hearts had been changed by God. So what is his strategy to bring these people who don't know him and don't love him out of darkness and into his marvelous light? Send people into their life who were also once dead in their trespasses and sins and wanted nothing to do with him, but had been changed by his grace through faith in Jesus to be a picture of what he is like and live in a way that is a picture of what his future kingdom is going to be like. 
Some of these Gentiles are going to be brought into the family of God by these Christians living everyday life like they are members of God's family and citizens of his kingdom. Folks, God doesn't change. His mission has always been the same, and so is his strategy. Why are you here, right here in the Quad Cities in this day and age? It's not to have some sort of stable career, a nice, healthy family, and attend church on Sundays kind of life. If you are a Christian, if you have been born again, if you have God's spirit inside of you, then the whole purpose for the rest of your life is to continually grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. And as that is happening, as you are changing, some of the people in your life who don't know Jesus are going to persecute the mess out of you, yes. But for some of them, the impact that you make on their life will have eternal significance. When he returns to fully restore creation and bring his kingdom in full, we as believers will be worshiping him and everything about us will be bringing him glory, just like it says here. And for those people that are in our lives and have been impacted enough to bring them to a saving knowledge of God, they'll be right there with us. That's what Peter's telling them here. So if you are a believer, I hope you can hear this and worship the Lord with me this morning. This whole living intentionally different kind of lives than the culture and actually having an impact on people's eternity might sound like a big job. That's because it is. And some of us might have heard this this morning and we're convicted because we have lost sight of this job that God has given us to do, which means it's led us to not doing this job very well. And as you heard me say, I'm right there with you on that. But here's why we can worship the Lord this morning. Any, in any other time, you feel guilty for not living the life that God has asked of you. The only reason that we are exiles here, the only reason that we are sojourners and aliens and all the other words that he used, the only reason why our home is in another place is because by faith, we have been united with Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means many beautiful things, but one of the things that it means is he is now sitting right next to the Father, and he's interceding for us. Let me put it like this. When God the Father looks down at our lives and sees how we are doing, does he see our failures? Yes, he does. God sees everything. But when he looks down at us and he sees us not abstaining from our sinful desires, and he sees us not keeping our conduct honorable, we don't receive his holy wrath at that time, even though we deserve it, because Jesus, our King, says, Dad, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what you sent me to do for them. They are with me. They are mine. Have you heard the words of the song that we've been singing lately? We sang it again this morning. It says, Mine is hope in my Redeemer. Though I fall, his love is sure. Christ has paid for every failure. I am his forevermore. Man, that's good news. That's something to renew our minds with on a daily basis. Not only does God not give us this job and leave us to ourselves to go get it done, 
But all of the things that he equips us with for our sanctification that we mentioned before, his spirit, his word, community, time with him, are also there to help us do our job. But even then, we're still going to fail. But Christ never fails. His record's perfect. He was the perfect missionary that we can't be. He was the perfect image bearer that we can't be. He's the perfect savior that we can't be. When we are believing that, our lives will look radically different. Our lives will look more like the picture of the kingdom. And if we look more like, our lives look more like the picture of the kingdom, then people will want what we have and God will bring them into his family. I'll close with this. I don't have a watch, but this might be the fastest sermon that's ever been done here. If what I've described to you today isn't you, if it's not what your life looks like, then confess that. Repent of it and turn to Jesus in worship. Know that God never stops pursuing you. The change that he wants to see happen in you is going to happen. It might be slow. It might be painful. We might need to be pointed back to our purpose very frequently like we were this morning but he promises that he will preserve us until the end. That's the beautiful thing about sanctification. It's progressive, meaning it takes the rest of our life. But it's also positional, meaning God deemed it a done deal as soon as he chose you. He's also going to complete his mission. He started it. He always finishes what he starts. Again, it's amazing what he's doing. He's choosing broken, sinful people deeming them righteous, and then taking them through this holy maturation process to get them wherever he wants to get them. And doing that all in the context of a culture of people who don't know him so that they can look in at that process and fall in love with him. It's the greatest story that's ever been told. We get to be a part of it. We should worship him for that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your grace to us this morning. We thank you that you bring us here on Sundays to be reminded of who you are and of what, you're done, what you have done for us. We thank you for Jesus and the work that he's done. We thank you for just this job that you've given us, Lord, that we get to be a part of this amazing story that you're writing, that we get to be characters in that story, but we also get to be carriers of that story. We get to then go live a life that's different than the culture so people can look in at that life and see that something's different. And then they can wonder why. And we can tell them, my life looks different because I worship the Lord Jesus. I don't worship other things. We can't do that without your spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower all of us to be able to receive what we talked about today. Receive the grace in that, but then be able to go and live it out. Again, for other people's good, but ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.